0: Thank <laughs> you. Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Kristofferson, and I'm joined today by one third of Liminal Earth, a frequent contributor on Night Drift with Jim Perry. Which, if you have not listened to UFOmet, you should really go listen to UFOmet because it's a fantastic podcast, which that is a, a part of. And one of the organizers of the Wednesday UFO Watch, Bex Atwood. Bex, welcome to the podcast.
1: <laughs> Thanks. I'm happy to be here. I'm so excited to to talk about what we've been looking into here.
0: Yeah. So Wednesdays, you encourage people to go outside and look up into the skies and look for some UFOs and stuff. So how did how did that come together?
1: It came together so simply and so randomly. It was it was a simple tweet by one of our friends, uh Maidlyn Kelly at Weird Astrology. And, mm-hmm. and they were just discussing, um, rereading the Mafia prophecies and how this Wednesday night phenomenon is, uh, is supposed to be like the data average for seeing a UFO, according to John Keel back in the 70s. And so we dig into the book and we're like, oh my gosh, this is pretty cool. Uh, Wednesday at 10. And we were kind of looking for something to, to offer that was more open source. So we were like, patreon's great the map's great what else can we do um that's open to absolutely everyone and it's like a little midweek break something something fun so uh we connect with them and uh we (laughs) spend the next wednesday just looking up at the stars and and they provide us with some astrology information and some like what we call now stargazing side quests so they're like oh hey, by the way look up here and, and you'll see this star and this is what this means and and so, we're learning, we're having fun. It's virtual, it's remote, so we're being safe. And um, oh, it's just kind of progressed on its own. It's become its own egregorish event, if you will, <laughs> where every week now we do a live Estes Method session. We call the live contact session on TikTok for about an hour. And uh, we just try like divination, we try the Estes Method, various means to contact what we refer to as aerial entities. We didn't want to be too exclusive with what we were trying to reach out to um, because we know so little. (laughs) So we're trying to make that open. But then at the same time, um, we're going out at 10 p.m. your local time every single Wednesday. And we have like a hashtag you can report back with. Now we have a website um, We like, our recap from last week. What's happening this week? People are making fan art. People are taking really beautiful pictures of their skies. And so we're including all of that for everyone to see. And so I like to think of it as like this spontaneous event that you can do whenever you want. You can do as much for as little as you want. And then eventually we want to include like other people's sky streams. So we have a participant in Australia. Eventually we want to have like something embedded on the website where every hour leading up to that, uh, 10 p.m. Pacific, um, every hour, like Central, Eastern, and what have you, uh, someone else is showing their sky and their WUFO celebrations. So those are the goals. They're lofty, but we're working on it and we've come a long way and it's been so random (laughs) and somewhat successful, I guess, question mark. I don't know.
0: I think... You know, anything that is random and somewhat successful is 100% successful in my eyes.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's, I mean... (sighs) it's very simple you can do as much or as little as you want and and it's just an excuse to get outside and and have something to talk about with your buddies afterwards
0: (laughs) yeah exactly i I mean it's a it's a it's become a community which is great it's just fantastic because like you know anything that that becomes communal in that way uh just makes it that much more fun and that much more enjoyable to take part in so you know i really salute what y'all are doing over there and uh one of these wednesdays when I don't have to get up at 2.30 in the morning to go to work, I will definitely uh, take <laughs> part, uh, probably uh, when I'm on vacation really soon. But, uh, yeah, no, it, it's absolutely wonderful what you all are, are doing with the One State UFO watches and stuff. It's it's fantastic.
1: Thanks, man. And open invite whenever you want to come do it with us, maybe in person or virtually sometime. Um, mm-hmm. We would love that. And anyone yeah. else really.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh I am totally down for that sometimes. So uh it, it's fitting today to have you on because we're talking about UFOs, but not only that, we're talking about like really big UFOs that apparently hang out in the Yukon. Uh which is, you know, probably the last place you would think anybody would see UFOs, but when you look into it. The Yukon has its UFOs. It has its UFO sightings and it has really the some of the most unique and interesting UFO sightings and I don't know what it is about big UFOs hanging out in the Yukon and like Alaska. Alaska there was a very infamous UFO sighting in 1989 with a Japanese pilot that saw this huge mothership that was just like flying with his plane and it was it was crazy but like big UFOs apparently if if they want a place to hide i guess the yukon is the place maybe i don't know
1: so my thought on that is that makes perfect sense to me if if this motive behind whatever being is Is piloting these vehicles, if your objective is to be obscured, to be hidden, the Yukon is the perfect place for that, Um, Mm -hmm. as is Alaska, as we know. But what's special about the Yukon is they're, within the entire territory, there's only 30,000 inhabitants. Mm -hmm. 23,000 of them are in one town, Whitehorse. Yes. So, I mean, 7,000 people spread over like hundreds and hundreds of miles, man. Um, perfect place if, you're, if your goal is obscurity or um, hiding of some sort.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, I live in a county of 50,000. So it's like, <laughs> wow, that, that, really? That that tiny up there? Well, I mean, that makes sense. I I it's, you know, the Yukon, it's right next to, you know, the Northwest Territories. And like, it's, definitely it it has i don't know when you think of it it's a place where you think of like seeing the northern lights like uh for a certain period of time usually i I think it's like from august to about april that people see the northern lights and you know i can only imagine how beautiful that is like uh (laughs) you know my 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 family on my father's side is from Norway and like that's definitely one of the things that Norway is known for is the northern lights that you could see there so you know it's a beautiful backdrop to see big huge hulking UFOs it really is
1: (laughs) for sure and I mean what if they're enjoying the northern lights so I um I've seen them i lived in alaska i lived right where the yukon territory starts it's that uh if you're looking at the entirety of alaska i lived in the southeast but mm-hmm. my island is called prince of wales and it's mm-hmm. right below like sitka and Juneau. so Juneau and sitka is right where you start to see that border with the yukon territory um now i saw them in october of 2016 and um man, it was absolutely life-changing. And it starts out as like this haze and you're like, what's going on over there? That's kind of strange. And and I happen to just be driving to a gas station for snacks or something really late at night. And these roads on this island are so winding or there's mountain and then there's ocean. And so it's very steep, very quick. And you have a, a really great vantage point. And so I'm seeing this green mist appear, and I'm like, what is this? (laughs) Um, So I pull over, and I start to see, like, these ribbons forming in the sky right on the shoreline. And the ocean is so still that they reflect. And Mm -hmm. so I'm just seeing them dancing. And there's almost like a personality to it it's so whimsical and you just can't help but like sob yeah (laughs) Yeah. just looking at this and you're like wow (laughs) and so if if they have no ulterior objective these extraterrestrials i say they're just enjoying the show (laughs) at the very least
0: yeah exactly they they have it's a it's a theater in the sky and and who wouldn't want the best seat in in the place, and it definitely seems like the UFOs occupy that territory. And in this era of the giant UFO, it kind of starts in the uh, the, the mid nineties. The first uh, inklings of like any kind of flap that we get uh, within, uh, especially like the Northwest Territories, uh, is in is in January of 96, uh, in, in actually in later 95, uh, we get this... We start to see reports in uh, the Northwest Territories of a lot of uh, First Nations tribes seeing odd objects in the sky. And in particular, uh, this one incredibly bright light in the sky that just seems to hang out there for like hours at a time and eventually just kind of like sets and at, and at first everybody starts to kind of just like you know uh, explain it away as oh it's venus you know it's you're watching <laughs> venus and you could see it for so many hours uh, uh you know before full night sets in and and that stars uh, the planet eventually sets in the sky and you know some researchers started to look into it and they said well no that that may not be the case because well venus shouldn't be that high on the horizon but you know this begins in a little place called fort simpson so at 5 p.m over the treetops a man named Leo Norwegian and uh, an 80-year-old boy, uh, they they were driving to this subdivision. And near this radio tower, they see this uncharacteristic red light. And uh, they can see kind of the, the, the normal red glow of the radio towers nearby. But there's this, just this one light that kind of sticks out. And eventually they see it kind of stationary hovering over the mckenzie river and it starts to just change colors from red to blue to white and green and and back again and a minute later this light speeds away faster than any aircraft that leo had ever seen uh Quote, at first I thought it might be a plane or a helicopter, but then I knew I couldn't, it couldn't be because it went away so fast because the colors, uh, and because of the, you know, colors and the lights, uh, end quote. Right. So it, it's, it's interesting when, even when we have like things, sightings that could seem like planetary bodies, there are these other anomalous incidents that kind of like, they almost have the ability to pick up and read on the situation or how they are going to be interpreted. And they're like, all right, well, we'll just show up and do what we're going to do. You guys can debate on it for a while, I guess.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. That's so funny that you mentioned that one first, the, the technicolor and the, is that a star? Because that's pretty much exactly what happened to Garrett and I this past Wednesday when we were Mm -hmm. at Anderson Cove together doing the skywatch. Um, we were doing WUFO and we saw a star that we thought was Vega um, may still be Vega, but it was phenomenal in that it kept changing colors. It was like this technicolor type situation, like what you just described and, and like so many reports I received out here. And so we just sat there and watched it and we're like, is that a star? It maybe it's moving towards us. Maybe it's just a plane. It never moved. Um, but it had that, technicolor element to it and so mm-hmm. that's the only thing that's making me not completely say oh that's just Vega, the star um because of how that parallels with other with other this may be a star this may not Accounts.
0: yeah exactly and it's just like well, there's that little bit of doubt there and and how <laughs> how can you how can you know for sure uh, but like yeah, with the way that some UFOs like to just like change color like that it it kind of sows those seeds of doubt and um so the reason that Leo Norwegian, came forward, he uh was a member of the the Lilyquay. First Nations tribe, and the reason that he came forward is that there were other people in other parts of the Northwest Territories that were coming forward and talking about their sightings, and um, most uh, notably is the residents of Fort Resolution, and it was on a CBC radio interview for the program, As It Happens, that the mayor of Fort Resolution, Ewan Hunter, told of you know this bright stationary light just hanging above the treetops in like the southwestern sky and many of the residents they just like so many of them actually just stepped outside and watched this light just drop lower and lower and lower and lower in the sky until it just was kind of lost to the horizon and you know it was also an object that was just flashing this myriad of different colors not only that, it led to the Department of National Defense getting involved in doing their own investigation as to, well, what's the strange thing in the sky? Um, and despite the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of the the, the investigators that looked into this crate, this case, I think Chris Rakowski, who is one of Canada's most well-known investigators, you know, at first he said, well, it can't be Venus because it's too low in the horizon at that particular time of night and then it just kind of seemed to be the consensus that it was Venus so like I always find it interesting when it comes to sightings of this nature like essentially the you know these are what we would call in the Hynek scale the nocturnal lights so you're seeing this nocturnal light but like even though you have these investigators are coming up with these explanations. There's still this little bit of doubt that is left in these accounts with, with these like shifting and conflicting narratives, which I, I always find interesting because you will see it from time to time where it's just oh, it's this thing. Well, no, it's this thing. So like I I often like. I don't know how to handle that most of the time because it's just like, um, I'm getting conflicting view views here in your own writing. How do I handle this?
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's the you know million dollar question. How do you, how do you handle something like that? Um, I think for me, I tend to see how the experience kind of changed that person. Um, so, you know, whether or not this UFO was truly a UFO, if it was a star, Um, the impact that it had on that person is still very real to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of where I go to focus is, okay, we, we are never really going to 100% have an answer on this. People are going to always pick between these sides. There's never going to be this like united. Okay. We all agree. This is a star. We can move on because of that. Um, yeah, I just divert my focus to like, okay, well, let's look at the individual witness. Um, How are they feeling? How has their life changed since? Has this been really inspirational for them? Has this been really scary for them? And and how has their life changed because of it? And because of that life change, doesn't that still make it real?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, it all kind of boils down to your definition of how Reality and how you interpret reality kind of fits into your worldview and how you absorb that into, you know, ultimately what becomes you know your uh, worldview, your beliefs, your um, the the way that you handle yourself. So yeah, absolutely, it, it definitely affects people regardless of whether you know it was legitimate or not. Which is ultimately, I think, you know, one of those less talked about, but equally valid elements of the UFO phenomenon is how it seems to be in certain aspects a a, a vehicle of change and belief in many ways.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's a great way to put that. A vehicle of change, yeah. <laughs> a vehicle of change and belief.
0: It, it's, it's a tagline. I like, uh, you know, I want, if, if there is like a flying saucer car lot or something like that, I really want one of their slogans to, to be that, you know, a vehicle for change.
1: (laughs) I want (laughs) to, I want to hear somebody with like a really good salesman pitch do that. Um, Yeah. I would attempt, but I think I'll just make a fool of myself. (laughs) I'll probably see what you do now. (laughs) (laughs) A vehicle of change and belief. (laughs)
0: i think you just sold i think you just sold at least three ufos to some aliens i think i think i
1: feel so seen right now because i was literally talking about making like fake paper plate ufos for like a meditation vehicle (laughs) and so like i guess i just found my true purpose which is hawking meditation vehicles that are ufo shaped yeah and presenting them as car sales (laughs) yeah yeah
0: yeah, you you have found a a new vocation in life. It's it's fantastic.
1: <laughs> well, thanks, Rob.
0: <laughs> like you know, where this podcast is life changing. Uh, at least that's what I've been told.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness! So where do we go from here, Rob? Um.
0: Well, you know what we find in 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 Fort Resolution here is that a lot of eyewitnesses come forward with a lot of other ancillary. UFO incidents, you know, in the span of time where these people are seeing this object, which seems to be uh, viewed over multiple nights, the um, military rules out any kind of planetary body, which is interesting. We don't know of any like radar data. I don't know if there's any like radar stations in the area that would have picked it up. Um, But we, uh, we get a lot of different perspectives, uh, including there's a, a group of Northern Rangers, uh, members of the Canadian Army Reserves that had seen an object and had reported it. Uh, we have uh, other people claiming that they would see these objects, these red objects that would follow them on their snowmobiles and in some some cases would disable them for a period of time before you know they sped away so um we we have the inklings of a, of a flap here but you know later in 1996 Yukon just becomes this place where over the course of a, uh, a few different months different eyewitnesses come forward with these reports of giant UFOs. Um, before we get into those, um, there's a there's another noteworthy uh, incident that took place in the 1970s, and it's uh, it's the uh, what's called the Tagish Lake incident, and it's located near the southern border of uh, Yukon and British Columbia, and there were two couples boating on. Tagish Lake early that morning. It was about 10 a.m. And like the size difference between these two couples boats was like considerable. One of them, you know, was able to go into, you know, the deeper parts while, uh, another couple kind of had to hug it close to shore. But for that one couple, uh, and the only eyewitness named in this case was a guy named Jim. Um, as he was driving that boat close to shore, um he sees these seven luminous objects like right against this like mountain there's four that are kind of down closer to the the ground and then there are another three that are up toward kind of like the peak of this mountain but uh he ends up taking a photograph and he's close enough where he can kind of discern the size of these things. So like uh, in the photograph uh, that I'll be posting online with this uh, episode, you can see these small yellow dots of light. And he was saying he that he was estimating them to be about three to four feet in diameter. And they kind of tended to move around slowly in the air and you know all of these objects as he watched them eventually made their way up to the face of this mountain and you know thankfully they were able to take you know photos of these objects he only took one which is interesting kind of surprised he didn't take more but you right. know they didn't mention seeing anything to the other couple until they got these you know photographs developed uh the other the other Um, couple the only other uh, eyewitness well not eyewitness but the person identified in the other boat is a guy named George so you know Jim has these photos um, copied he gives some to George and uh, you know eventually in the late 90s in 1998 George comes forward with these like negatives and you know, story, the story, the story of Jim. So on September 5th, 1998, investigator Martin Jassick, who is kind of like one of the premier investigators in British Columbia and Yukon, like uh, I've, I've previously done an episode about an abduction that happened in Yukon in like the 1980s that uh, is, is wild. This guy, you know, was basically I think he was. Four wheeling or snowmobiling or something like that, and he sees this UFO, and, and and it was huge, if I remember correctly, it was a huge UFO. And eventually, on the road that he's on, right to the right of it, he sees these like two mantis beings that get up out of the grass, and uh, mm. he he has some missing time and, and and stuff. So like, apparently, you know, no place is too remote for an abduction to take place. <laughs>
1: yeah apparently I love the, the the giant insect type witness reports like right before something like that too because we have we have a few on the map where they see either a giant giant praying mantis or similar insect and then they'll either have a loss of time or they'll see they'll have like a a really weird out of body experience. Yeah, um, I'll have to hunt those down for you and send those to you. But I haven't heard of the one that you just told and it, it lined up really well with one of our reports, huh?
0: Yeah. Um, so interesting. Yeah, what what, what episode is that? Why
1: yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh hold on, because I'll 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 tell you what episode that was. But uh yeah, I, I covered this with Rich Haddam um back in I think twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, somewhere around there. Um it is Episode sixty-three, the North Canal Road Abduction. Uh and it's like it's kind of just like a an offbeat story that Martin Jasik had collected and uh he event I it might even be on UFOBC.com, which folks, if you I'm gonna put a link in the show notes. You need to go to it because it is it, it is, you know, remained in its nineties glory all these years. It's so beautiful <laughs> to look at. <laughs>
1: So true, and it's a wealth of knowledge. Like you, you click the Yukon tab, and you're scrolling for a while. You mm-hmm. don't realize until it's all there on one page just how many encounters yeah. there are in this region.
0: Yes, there are numerous encounters uh, in Yukon, and uh, interestingly enough, so Martin Jassik he learns about the sighting. He gets a hold of the photograph. He mounts an expedition and he goes on to Tagish Lake and he finds the spot. He photographs it exactly the way that they had photographed it. Um, He had done an analysis uh, of the photos himself. He kind of had um, he had a background in photography, so he had kind of the fundamentals to do it. And one of the things that he noted is that because of the way that the objects higher up were kind of like, reflecting sunlight, the conclusion that he came to was that they were solid objects. They weren't plasma. So sure. that's interesting in and of itself. But what makes this even more interesting is that in 2014, National Geographic writes an article about um, earthquake lights and studies being done on earthquake lights. And there is there are four scientists... Uh, Robert Therault, France-Saint-Laurent, Friedman de Frond, and John S. Durr, they had written this paper, and they had concluded that because of the electrical properties of some rocks in specific settings, that they created orbs of light following seismic activity that could last up to several minutes. So... Um, You know, the article name checks Jim in this. His name is Jim Conacher. He at the time uh, that he took the photographs, he was a Canadian, you know, government agricultural inspector. So, you know, he had a pretty prominent job. So I can kind of see why he would want to remain anonymous at the time. Um, They dated the Mm -hmm. photograph to July 1st, 1973. And what they noted was that there was a an earthquake that had occurred nearby that measured measured 6.7 on the Richter scale. So they came to the conclusion that, well, this is caused by earthquakes, you know, earthquake mm-hmm. lights. This is the explanation. It's an interesting explanation. It may, it may jive, but it it's, Kind of unclear because it's like, well, how instantaneous are earthquake lights? Do they happen instantaneous? Do they take a while to, you know, kind of uh, come to the forefront? It, it's not exactly clear, but it's an interesting sighting with some interesting photographs that they're fun to look at. It's a beautiful picture of a mountain with some weird orbs <laughs> of light in front of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I would love some, like, reference photos if they have confirmed landscape lights activity, I would love to compare the two because um, I do have a background in photography, about eight years on my belt. So I'm looking here at the photograph and all I can really tell, you know, it's obviously an older photograph and I can see other areas of light that are not numbered um, and, and they're different from the orbs in, in both color and shape,
0: mm-hmm. but the
1: orbs highlighted here with numbers um, are blurred. They're not um, in focus. So that tells me like one of two things, either they were in motion when this took place um, or they had to have appeared after the shutter was already set. So especially with a 35 millimeter camera, um, you have to 100 percent have your subject in focus Um, with these cameras. You click your shutter. You click your shutter. And um if anything moves in between that, it's gonna be blurred just like this. And so, mm-hmm. um but it maintains a circular shape. Um So looking at that, that's telling me that you click the shutter and then they appear. So it almost could be convincing of like, oh, I was just taking a picture of a mountain and these appeared, but mm-hmm. then he's saying, oh, well, I, I took the picture because I saw this phenomenon. So it's like, okay, he saw it with his eyes, took a photograph of it but the way that it's appearing in the photograph um it's blurred it's not in focus and so that that raises some questions for me and that's why i want to compare the earthquake-like photos because if there's that similar motion um similar shape similar color sure um but there's just something odd about the way that these look and they're not in focus at all um, right. this is like a Probably two hundred film um so it can handle sunlight um everything's in focus it's a little dark in the corner, but um, for these lights to just randomly appear and be out of focus is is interesting to me
0: <laughs> right and and that would also lend credence to the testimony, which um you know the fact that they did only take one picture of it of the, yeah. of it and the fact that he didn't talk about it until he got it developed so it kind of makes sense you know
1: definitely i'm i'm just zooming in and out in and out over and over again because i keep finding other little other little anomalies but it's hard with that 35 millimeter to really we get so much detail now it's hard to look back at these photographs and be like wait what is that oh that's that might just be the film <laughs> but the lights stick out they sure do
0: <laughs> absolutely look we got we got the photographic experts here folks we've got it <laughs> on lock we de- oh. we were, we're debunking things here
1: <laughs> oh are we <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe I'm, we are. Uh, i yeah i think that they're definitely anomalous that's what i'll i'll land on i think they're definitely interesting i just want to see earthquake like photos now if they even exist or
0: right if that's, like,
1: you know if that exists but there's no photo documentation of it but we have like apparent photo documentation of UFOs that's interesting to me <laughs> like,
0: right where are right. these earthquake
1: light photos you speak of <laughs> i need to see those
0: yes absolutely <laughs> <laughs> now we are on the search for earthquake light photos now we we've got a we've got a whole Man, we're gonna debunk so many things <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think we're we're doing the good work here um yeah. I don't know. I think it's an authentic photograph, and I think uh the fact that it's all blurred out makes me think that um something could have had a little motion there yeah we'll say we'll say anomalous
0: <laughs> we'll say we'll say uh i i I think the official Designation that, like the government would come up with, would be insufficient data. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Man, if only it were that easy for everything. Right,
0: <laughs> right. Like you know, if you want to explain it away. Insufficient data is, is your explanation.
1: <laughs> I guess my question is just, is that an option on my taxes?
0: <laughs> I I think it should be, quite frankly. <laughs> IRS, get back to us. Uh, insufficient data? Is that, is that cool? We cool? We cool? We cool? Yeah. The UFO sightings in the Yukon, uh, again, they're unique for their size in this instance, and, and you know, we kind of have like four reports here, including the North Canal Road one, because I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, and I'm just going off the top of my head, the UFO that this guy saw was absolutely ginormous. Like, he, you know, he saw it in broad daylight and it just took up a lot of space in the sky. But in 1996, we have a couple of different sightings. Uh, and then not only, you know, we have a sightings, uh, this, this first sighting is from, uh, a pair of twins, which is great because you don't hear about yes. that, that that often, which is, which is fantastic. <laughs> uh, but like, uh, yeah, so we're, we're in, you know, July of 1996 and, uh, we're near Dawson city and like Dawson city, you know, we're talking about the gold rush here because, this particular area, Dawson City, it was it became, you know, a place where everybody and their mother came up to try to strike it rich in the gold rush. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, late 1800s, the place was known for its large gold deposits. And, you know, while a majority of it had been mined by that time, there were a few small kind of like family operations in and around. Uh, Dawson City, and like you know, hobbyists that would come up and, and just mine for gold every now and then, and you know, just from the photos that I've seen from even back in the in I, I think Martin Jasic investigated this case in like 2000 or somewhere around there. Like the photos of Dawson City, th- the buildings are slightly updated, but it still has that like old west kind of like. Main Street vibe so I dig that they have maintained that For the tourists Uh, It definitely makes me want to go Pay a visit but uh, The main witnesses in this case Are identical twins Sarah Baker And Sue Malcolm And they own a restaurant in Dawson City and they were kind of drawn to the lifestyle that Dawson offered, uh, taking to the gold trade as a hobby in their free time. And it was kind of a two-hour drive home from uh, where uh, where this gold settlement was. Uh, they lived on the Indian River, and it was near uh, midnight by the time that they kind of pulled into a service station after uh, checking out their their claim and. This is the time of year where it doesn't get dark out. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> it's it's pretty bright in July and in in, in the, uh, the Yukon. So they pulled into a gas station at midnight, and you know I, that that would have to be a jarring experience because I've never experienced that. Being, you know, showing up at a gas station at midnight when it's just daylight out, and you know trying to get some gas.
1: It's odd. I'll tell you, I've experienced it. And um, it takes a lot of getting used to. I think what was harder for me, it wasn't so much the daylight, but it was the dark winters where we only get maybe three hours, four hours of sunlight in a day. Um, and then as you go north, especially in the Yukon region, it's even less. Um, it's very disorienting and you need to like take a lot of vitamin D or you just get really weirded out. <laughs> you just get real... <laughs> real internal <laughs> and, and it's not good. So um yeah, it's it's a very interesting um naturally occurring anomaly, right? You're like it affects your body weird and yep. and it makes your mind go to weird places. It's uh yeah, interesting place if you are an extraterrestrial wanting to confuse some people and wanting to uh to do something that people wouldn't believe anyways. <laughs>
0: absolutely absolutely perfect place to weird some people out i mean uh it's it's difficult as it is adjusting to the winter here in northern new york so i don't even want to try and 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 adjust to whatever is going on up there ever (laughs) i don't think i'd handle it well i could barely handle a new york winter as it is
1: yeah right so what's interesting is um my dad and my grandfather actually uh, had some claims up in the Yukon when I was a kid. Um, and my dad has about nine claims now on on the island I uh, brought up. Uh, he still lives there. Um, so I grew up gold panning. I grew up, like, loving the claims and everything, but... It, it's weird out there. Like it's when you're just gold panning all day long and you're you're neck deep in quartz and you're trying to find that little bit of gold in the middle, um, that also messes with your head and there's been some instances where we've ran into like a little bit of uranium. Oh, um yeah. so there's a lot at play here geologically speaking too. Not to I'm definitely not one to debunk. I'm not one to not I, I love to believe people and to be up that open ear. So I I would hundred percent believe these twins, but I I've been there, and I know just how strange this place is. And so, on one end, I'm like, "Yeah, there's there's a little bit of uranium in the ground, and there's a lot of quartz." Um, so the electromagnetic uh, fields are all bizarre out there as well. Um, if you remember from like the Hellier research, they talk about the three main areas with the highest quartz deposits in the United States and uh, North America. I would say so. It's uh, that Kentucky region that part of Arizona, Sedona, and then southeastern Alaska. Um, and then kind of where southeastern Alaska is, is where that border with the Yukon starts. And so that quartz may have something to do with all of this as well. Um, so if I were an extraterrestrial trying to hide out, this is like the perfect storm, right? Like You you already have these like electromagnetic interferences. You have potential uranium exposure. You have... You know, thirty days a night. <laughs> yeah, all of this together. If I were an extraterrestrial, and want to be undetected. I'd be like, "This is perfect." If anyone says anything, no one's going to believe me, anyways. And that is kind of the message I get with a lot of these
0: in mm. more remote
1: areas. No one's going to believe you, anyways, because this, this, and this is also going on. So. <clears throat>
0: <laughs> the UFOs have it planned out. Look, they understand human psychology better than anybody. I think at this point, they know. Oh, you've been out. You've been out in the gold fields. I know. I know where your mind's been. You're all crazy. You didn't see anything.
1: And you're greedy too. Yes. <laughs> Get yeah. Get go. Yeah. Joke. But yeah, like I've given the humans a lot of credit right here. they're so interested in us they know all about our psychology (laughs) oh yeah
0: oh yeah we're so interesting to them yeah
1: so what what's going on with these twins here they got so they got this restaurant they're they're driving two hours to get home that's that's a lot
0: it is uh you know they fill up and, and they leave uh, and and it's about you know about an hour and twenty minutes still on their journey. So they were on Hunker Hill Road, ascending a steep hill toward King Solomon Dome, which uh it's it's a very scenic view um that you get from uh King Solomon Dome, and uh, suspended in the air as they were uh you know approaching this is this giant cigar-shaped object with these long rows of rectangular windows on them. And, like, it's just hanging there. And, like, this thing is just absolutely gigantic. And... Sue actually looked down at her watch and she noticed that it stopped at about one fifty a.m., uh, you know, but they continued on through the bright night and descending into the Indian River Valley, more detail came into view of this object just occupying the space directly in front of them. They noted that at one end of this object, what they called the quote-unquote front end, were the like smaller objects kind of buzzing around the front of it going in and out she um they both kind of like counted like 12 or 13 of these smaller objects going in and out of this cigar and they continued down into uh quartz creek valley so we got some Uh quartz here
1: (laughs) sure we do of course yep
0: yeah, of course. Uh, they kind of lost sight of the object briefly before catching up with it again. And by this time, all of the smaller objects had, quote, tucked themselves away. I love that. You know, I love describing UFOs as tucking themselves away.
1: It makes them, makes the little lights seem like little babies.
0: Mm-hmm. Little
1: babies. <laughs> tucking <laughs> tuck your subway in your mother's ship. You're so cute. <laughs> <laughs>
0: babies were let outside to play for a little bit but it's time to go inside time for nap time
1: the dinner bell is a (laughs) ringing
0: yep it absolutely is so this 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 craft literally settles over top of their gold claim that's what they that's what they say which is uh by this point like you know miles away from where they had been they they see this UFO just hovering over their gold and I would be so pissed off right now I'd be like you ain't don't <laughs> even touch my gold <laughs> sir mhm
1: you got a, you got a whole paper with your name on it and everything
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i just do this in my hobby you're just coming in and you're going to like ruin me in seconds i don't think so sir please mm-hmm. take your ufo away from my gold claim and this object, as as they're getting closer to home, it starts to disappear behind this mountain called Haystack Mountain. And what's interesting is, like, when you look at the uh, photograph kind of reproductions that they make, this object just looks like it's sticking out of the mountain, and you can kind of see it slowly over time descending behind it. And you know, as they approach home uh the object is is completely gone out of view. What's interesting though is they should have arrived home by about 120 to 130 a.m. They didn't arrive home until 330 a.m. Two hours after they should have. Which is wow. interesting. Yeah.
1: Which is reoccurring throughout yes. a lot of these reports. Wow missing time
0: we got some missing time here um the next morning uh when they told uh the cook in their their restaurant what they had seen he didn't believe them. so he had them separate and draw what they had seen and it turns out that they drew practically the same thing just exactly the same thing and uh the the sketches side by side look pretty much identical um yeah. in, in their hands which is which is absolutely fascinating um
1: wow they really do i'm looking at them right now
0: yeah yeah
1: even the, the amount of little lights mm-hmm. there's almost the same exact amount too that's incredible
0: yeah um so investigators when they investigated this case They claim that this object was a third of a mile long. That's how big it was. It it was just absolutely huge. But the object we're going to be talking about now was bigger than that.
1: So much bigger.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, So, you know, we shoot to uh, five months later. In December of 1996, 22 eyewitnesses along a 134 mile stretch of the Klondike Highway witnessed a gigantic UFO, like just absolutely massive. And because it was so big, they were able to triangulate this through triangulation. They were able to figure out how big it was just by. You know, like taking on plotting all the points on a map, and 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 just like really, you know, putting pen to paper. But the witnesses um, around Fox Lake, Carmax, and Pelly Crossing all saw the. You know, they reported their cases anonymously, and and like in the report and the way that they talk to talk about them, they'll call them like Fox One, Fox Two, and Fox Three for the Fox Lake sightings. And Pell for the Pelly Crossing ones and, and like Car for the Carmack ones. So, um, the first two witnesses were driving from Whitehorse to Carmack's in two separate vehicles. And they were driving northbound near Fox Lake. And the pair of motorists just kind of slammed on their brakes as a large aerial object, wider than uh, Fox Lake itself, just started to drift across the river very, very, very slowly. And one of the witnesses watched as this like object just started to drift in their direction. And it moved over them across the highway to a nearby hill. And this was around 8.30 p.m. And whatever this object was, it was solid, it was smooth, and it was projecting bright lights all around it. And just then, two other motorists behind them who were headed northbound on the Klondike Highway uh observed just several what they saw at first and in their sketches they saw several rows of lights um and this like you know darkness behind it uh it, it looks very eerie in the sketch cuz it's just like several rows of rectangular lights and uh darkness uh it's very eerie looking but their thoughts drifted at first to like a very large truck. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, I, I get it, but like, maybe, uh, like, I I need to take into consideration here. Like, I don't know what, how, if the moon was out or if, you know, it, at times Is it was full. Like <laughs> yeah. Like, there's no we obviously we're not in the streetlights kind of situation here. Oh, so no. uh, the lo- the light that you're seeing is either coming from the UFO or it's coming from some car headlights. But like I can only imagine just how eerie it would be just to see that. It's just like, what is this? Oh, cool. It's a big ass truck. Hopefully it doesn't hit us. Hopefully we are not in the path. <laughs>
1: And that's like the better option at the tube, right? Because yeah. all that you have really left is, oh, it's this, oh, huge, <laughs> this huge uh, spacecraft of sorts. And yeah. it's larger than the lake. So how do you how do you process that? I would rather be like, oh, it's just it's a really big truck somehow over the lake. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Totally. <laughs> that's exactly oh, no. what it is. Totally. Right.
1: That's like <laughs> <laughs> that's how you sleep at night <laughs> in a place yeah. like that
0: yeah exactly like uh that was in a ufo that was um a truck yeah it was a truck mm-hmm. in the middle of the air yeah solved <laughs> totally solved so they kept kind of running through these explanations in their head first it's a truck then it's a plane But the thing they noted was that this object was just completely silent. All the witnesses noted that it did not make a sound at all. And the second pair of eyewitnesses stopped uh, briefly and talked with the first pair of eyewitnesses. Uh, Those first pair of eyewitnesses were uh, known as Fox Two and Fox Three, and the other ones that that stopped after were Fox Four and Fox Five. But uh, shortly after stopping at a lodge um fox four proclaimed to the owner of this lodge that uh he needed some coffee he was a bit shaken and that's when the owner steve watson said oh you must have seen what fox one saw (laughs) so (laughs) about a half hour earlier at 8 p.m Fox One was driving along Fox Lake where they they noticed lights in the distance and, you know, dismissing it up front as they drew closer, this curved surface became visible, illuminated by a series of lights. And after losing sight of it briefly, their eyes caught sight of rectangular lights dipping behind a hill to the east. This uh, witness was enraptured by the object, pulling over to get a better view, though no additional view came. A sixth eyewitness later came forward claiming to have seen the object casting light on her dashboard. She leaned forward, looking through the windshield in the sky, and she observed just a series of multicolored lights. So uh, it's not we don't have that many witnesses in this uh, upfront encounter that get like a full on view of the, the structure of this thing. But like the ones that do just describe it as absolutely gigantic. Like these rows of windows just stretch for like uh, hundreds of feet. And, Between 8.30 and 9.00 p.m., the village of Pelly Crossing, which is about two hours north of Fox Lake, started to have their own sightings. So uh, Pell One, uh, this witness, was attending uh, to their trap lines just outside of Pelly when they noticed a set of slowly moving lights climbing over a hill. And they were armed with a flashlight, which was aimed at the craft's direction. And... As if in response, it started to speed right for him. So... <laughs> be mindful of your flashlights if you see if UFO people. That's all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Just be mindful. You're going to attract them. So... Uh, seeing that this UFO was starting to come towards him, he just immediately cupped the flashlight in his hand, and the UFO responded by slowly drifting away, like a little lost puppy, like denied the affection that it so desperately wanted.
1: <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought I love that because I, if I were in that situation, I would have been like, "Oh, now I'm gonna uncup it." Yeah. Oh, you're coming back? Now to come back and forth it's just to, to test it, you know? Um Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if he th- might have observed this this giant UFO to be like a puppy uh crawling away. I feel like he was probably really glad that worked.
0: <laughs> probably. Like, oh, okay. Oh. But but what if this <laughs> is like the UFO version of Clifford the Big Red Dog. I mean
1: Oh yeah.
0: You know, like I, I I'm gonna think about that all night and I hope my dreams are filled with UFOs that are like Clifford the Big Red Dog.
1: <laughs> it's reminding me of the jellyfish in SpongeBob. Yes. When they came yes. over and had the dance party and they were all technicolor and they and then they, they would get mad and start swarming. Um I kind of picture this UFO as that giant queen jellyfish <laughs> <laughs> that hovers over and just zap <laughs> um, it's like very serene very very calm and collected but then will also lash out um <laughs> has oh, <yeah. laughs> a size that is threatening
0: <laughs> yes um that that is definitely that situation here uh i think there's that is yeah that's that's definitely what actually you know what's interesting uh let me see if i can uh, appropriately, Google this. There was a sighting in the seventies in Russia of a UFO that looked like a jellyfish, or a, or an octopus, or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Google Russian jellyfish UFO, and then click on the images, and there were images captured of this thing, and and you'll see that uh, it it definitely it it's interesting looking.
1: Oh wow! Yeah. How odd.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How odd. That reminds me of a really local one um, here uh, it's really actually the first true report of the men in black as well um, mm-hmm. And this crash happened prior to Roswell. It was two months, two, three weeks, three weeks prior, uh, June 21st. And it's the Maury Island incident. And, right. and what reminded me of that based off of this black and white image is the slag that was spewing out of the bottom. If you were to take a slow exposure photograph of that from the shore, it would look like a jellyfish.
0: Yeah, there we so go. So maybe
1: this UFO is spewing slag as well.
0: Maybe slag it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Although, you know, in this case, it it is not a pleasant-looking donut in the sky. Like, I want more pleasant donuts in the sky for me to look (laughs) at. please.
1: Happy donuts. (laughs) What I do like, though, uh, especially about the cases we're talking about here in the Yukon, I especially love Fox 1's thought behind um, the UFOs. Um, Not necessarily the thought, actually, but how they how report feeling so they're saying like at this point they got an exhilarated feeling Mm -hmm. when they were anticipating like looking around trying to see if they could see it again um they were exhilarated so it's really good um to hear someone like not be terrified (laughs) like like oh what is that and and uh you know looked around for it and and got another glimpse um and i know you know in paranormal situations i felt that way where i'm like Oh, something just happened. Wait, wait, can can you come back? Come back.
0: Right, right.
1: <laughs> and it doesn't. So I'm like, "F one, you, you got it, Fox One." <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's this interesting parallel to um, the Hudson Valley UFO wave in the 1980s, in which there were witnesses that reported that they would watch these boomerang shaped ufos and when some of them saw it started to move away they would kind of project this thought into their head and say no please come back and then the ufo would come back and then they would get scared and then the ufo would run away
1: oh that's true wow yep. <laughs> that's awesome
0: Yep. so After Pell 1's sighting here, two additional eyewitnesses, Pell 2 and Pell 3, were traveling northbound, just south of town, when they, too, saw these huge row of lights in the sky. And that's the thing, is, like, most of these witnesses, they just describe these rows of rectangular lights over and over again, and... They stopped near a gravel pit to look at this object. And uh, as it passed in the sky, it literally passed over the Big Dipper in the sky. It actually blotted it out. That's, that, that's how big it was. It took up a reasonable space in the sky. And um, there were four women known as uh, Pells Four, Five, Six, and 7, that were taking evening classes at a small community college uh, when they kind of just stepped outside for a break for a second. And from a one-story deck, they too observed a large row of lights traveling slowly towards them. And at around the same time in the village of CarMax, nine witnesses split between two groups observed the large UFO. Four were in a truck on the highway while five others, a family, made an observation from their home. And the four men in the truck pulled over near a landfill to observe a UFO, which sounds like the worst place to observe a UFO. I'm just saying. (laughs) Just saying. I could see
1: some like, some like scientific explanations of lights. They're like, well, you were close to the landfill, so there's like gas and.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you were just Soft. huffing gas, man. You're totally huffing those fumes.
1: Decompose plastic. It's bad.
0: Yep. Totally. Absolutely. <laughs> and and look, it's gonna taint your UFO sightings. Okay, folks. So we've got we've it's not great for the environment. It's not great for you for the validity of your UFO sightings. So don't just just cut it out. Stop it okay recycle recycle for the UFO people <laughs> recycle and don't stop to look at ufos near landfills okay <laughs> it, Keen reminds, advice. it reminds me of
1: um you know how you have certain smells and they bring you back to like a memory mm-hmm. man that one must stink anytime you're like oh, oh i forgot yeah. to take out my trash now You've i have not- the trigger to take a ufo again <laughs> <laughs> It's awful i'm <laughs> oh. sorry
0: that's terrible <laughs> Oh God. Oh man. The I, gotta go to the, I gotta go to the dump today, and then you're you're at the dump and you have this thousand yard stare and like the attendants like what's wrong, man? It's like totally flashback to the time I saw UFO.
1: Here's the perk. I found silver lining. Are you ready? Yeah. Maybe it was so bad that they no longer have nose hair.
0: Oh That's plus. wow. That's wow. a plus,
1: right? Because nose hair shavers, those are painful.
0: Yeah, they <laughs> oh man. Uh yep. Yep. I have personal experience with that and yeah, it is absolutely a pain in the rear and uh, one could only hope one could only hope that things went smoothly in that department. (laughs)
1: Let's hope.
0: Yeah, let's hope. Uh, So uh the specific date of the sighting is December 11th and it's interesting to note that the uh the witnesses uh, uh the family uh they had like three children and um you know they saw this object kind of disappear what's interesting is is like these are the folks that see this object last and they describe it disappearing behind kind of like an invisible wall is the way that they say it so it's just kind of like Disappears into midair and stuff.
1: Yeah. And
0: one of the kids says that they believe that it was Santa Claus.
1: It was like two weeks before Christmas. So like yeah. one could hope, right? Especially up there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly two weeks before Christmas. So investigators were able to estimate the size of this object by triangulating it from all of the eyewitness accounts, determining it to be about half a mile long
1: yeah they said what is it um it could be as small as a half a mile and as large as 1.3
0: yeah yeah so this thing is (laughs) tornado yeah yeah and and like the artwork that i don't even know who who created the artwork for this sighting like uh it's um it's kind of like um it's uh, it's like black and white but like the ufo sticks out because there's like you know different colored lights on it and stuff like that but it's like mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful to look at um if you find yourself googling like you know fox lake ufo you'll you'll find pictures of this uh artwork it's just absolutely stunning and um what's interesting here is that a year after martin jassic published his work on this case he received a letter from a woman who saw a gigantic UFO in the the Yukon in the 1980s. Uh, She was a special liaison who traveled between Alaska and Yukon. And in October of 1985, uh, her name was Cindy. She attested to seeing this gigantic UFO near Tagish Loop, which is not far from Tagish Lake. So, uh, she exited the car briefly, but didn't remember doing so when she climbed back in, which is not something you want to find yourself doing, especially if you're going to operate a motor vehicle. It's not oh, very dear. good, UFOs. <laughs> Stop messing with people's minds while they're on the road. Dang it. <laughs> it's a bit much.
1: Especially out there. Whew.
0: Yeah. You're trying
1: to avoid elk. You're trying to like not hit wildlife on your way home. You yeah, got your brights on. You're just, you're just trying to get home
0: yeah just trying to get home man the, the don't 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 mess with people's minds and uh by the time that uh this woman climbed back into her um car, she saw you know she remembers seeing this u f o hovering thirty feet off the ground about a hundred feet ahead of her, and she noted that when she got home she was missing about three hours worth of time so you know, wow. eh, like why? Just, just like take it, take it easy. Don't, don't. <laughs> like, I can only imagine how jarring that is when you're out driving. You want to get home. You, you see a big UFO and boop, missing time. That's a problem. That, that's a problem.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a problem, but it's one of the most compelling parts of these cases to be honest
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. it really is it really is like what happened to you in those three hours
1: right right and you know the ones especially that get near like when they are driving and then oh the next thing they remember is like being in bed or like being in their living room it's like how did you get home all of this and that um that's really compelling to me
0: yeah like how did i get here why are my pajamas on inside out? Why are the covers tucked so tightly? I, how did that happen? I don't know. Like, I think my favorite thing about aliens is how much they fuck up. Because they fuck <laughs> up a lot. Like, they, it just seems like half the time, they don't know where to p- bring people back. They don't know how bedsheets work. Aliens don't know how bedsheets work. I mean. Are they pro
1: or con uh, top sheet? Uh, y- you <laughs> Do they know, know what Top Sheet is?
0: I, like, no. I can tell you no. Because half the time... I read accounts of people being in t- tucked into bed so tightly that they didn't know how it happened because they lived alone, <laughs> and it's just like aliens. Oh, no. What are you doing? There was one account that I read <laughs> in which the blankets were placed on the woman's face, and I'm like, "What? Is Come on!"
1: There's a, it's like me as a kid holding my hamster a little too tight. I love you so much.
0: Right. <laughs> Take <care>. Right. Like. <laughs> Like, come on. We have phones. We take pictures when we're not sure how things are supposed to go back the way that they were supposed to. You couldn't do that. Seriously?
1: <laughs> well, I'm watching a show right now that's from, like, the alien's perspective. It's called Resident Alien, and it's... Yeah, like, that's great. Yeah. yeah. And so he Googles, like... Any sort of like sexually obscene thing that he doesn't know. And it it always ends up being something like that because it's funny, right? To us viewers. But, um, you know, watching him Google all of these things, I'm like, but really, though, why don't they just Google it?
0: Right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, There's a uh, if you like that show, there's a there's a great book. Uh, it's a short little novella. It's called No Word from Gerb. It's by Eduardo Mendoza uh, Garriga. And it's literally about these two aliens that land in, in Barcelona, Spain. And one of them decides that they're going to go out and they're going to try and learn as much about um, Earth life as possible. Um, the alien disguises himself to look like Madonna and then disappears. <laughs> And the other one has to basically go find them. That's fantastic.
1: I'm doing it. I'm reading it. That sounds fantastic.
0: It's a it's a great book. It's a fantastic book. I highly recommend it to everybody. Um, But you know, like seriously, aliens get the Earth customs down right. There was uh, I I wrote an essay a long time ago, like a couple of years ago now, about alien fuck-ups, because they're just absolutely hilarious. There was a story from one investigator in which this w- elderly woman kept showing up outside her house. The doors were locked. They didn't know how she got outside. But she'd always be missing her nightgown. The aliens were taking these women's nightgowns. <laughs> you know, like, come on! What oh the my hell?
1: They <laughs> need their nightgowns! That's funny.
0: like seriously like are they collectors are like what is i i always just find like what people find on ufos that is vaguely like human like in nature and and how odd it is like uh we did we covered the jose antonio da silva case which is this abduction from 1969 and One of the things that he noted is that he was kind of taken on board what I call the like um, uh, it's a very DIY looking UFO that looks like it's made of a trash can and two plates that are like (laughs) stacked on it. And like it's very small looking and they take him to this. Other room that he presumes is on some other planet. And inside this room, there's these like murals on the wall that makes it look like a pediatrician's office. And (laughs) he engages in a conversation uh, in a language that he doesn't understand that that eventually you know leads to the guy that he's communicating with uh, like drawing pictures on the ground uh, he basically enters an intergalactic arms deal because these aliens want guns That's oh basically God. what it amounts to <laughs>
1: oh my gosh
0: and and rightfully so Jose Antonio Da Silva was very uh, you know uh, conflicted about this because he yeah. did not want to betray not only his country but earth
1: right well I mean my mind goes to like why would they need those aren't they like a lot better than us why would they need our equipment
0: <laughs> Man, I'm wondering if they're like collector's items because like wow sure. you, oh, you've, right. you've got the this is so damn primitive, but like, I want some souvenirs. Like, and there are oh God, a lot right. of people here that want souvenirs. <laughs> I'm going to need you to come to my planet for three years so that we can do an exchange program with one of our people that can live on your planet for a period of time. And not only that we can exchange arms. I'm not sure what we'll give you, but you know, no, absolutely nothing. It just seems like a bad deal. And, uh, the aliens did try to come back for him, and uh, he the, he described how uh, he heard something outside late one night. He opened the door. He sees these aliens. He just closes the door, goes back inside, locks it. <laughs> He's like, "I'm um, no, I'm done."
1: <laughs> when the phenomenon caused, just hang up.
0: <laughs> just, yeah, just don't like, answer no. the
1: phone. Just hang up no.
0: <laughs> Just, just That's close. So funny. Um, l- look, if you're scared, I give you permission. Close the door. Mm-hmm. On the phenomenon, like close it on their face, just do it. Yep, you it's can totally do it. Fine. Mm-hmm.
1: It's fine. You can engage. You cannot engage. It makes me think, like, <laughs> that going to these extraterrestrials going to these certain stops is like us going to like a Route 66 gas station. Oh, yeah. honey, look at this postcard. Look at these magnets. You know of, of these states. This is so cool. <laughs> and I think this is the extraterrestrial equivalent. Oh, let's go to this guy. who has got some uh, some guns. You say.
0: Mm. Oh, I think wow. uh, I
1: think our our neighbor will like this.
0: We could use some of those, yeah. Like I here, you know what? Let me draw it's the something.
1: last McDonald's item.
0: Oh my god! <laughs> yeah.
1: What are you trying to collect? <laughs>
0: right. Like, look, we're gonna need you to secure us one of those uh, peanuts Happy Meal toys from the nineteen nineties. We're gonna need you to get it off of eBay for us. In exchange, we won't take you to our planet.
1: <laughs> in exchange, we'll wake you up at night. Yes. And you'll be fed up with us.
0: <laughs> you'll literally close the door in our face. And you know what? We will not try to break into your home. We'll just keep coming back until you get us that Peanuts toy that we want so desperately.
1: I think this explains the Beanie Baby phenomenon. Just yeah, saying.
0: Totally. Totally does. <laughs> Solves- I was in the thick of it. I remember like you could not escape it on TV. You could not escape it in every store in the mall. They had Beanie Babies and uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, it was next level. It was almost a multi-level marketing scheme. I really do believe that.
1: 100%. But yeah. When you get into it, it's just, it's very, uh, interesting how it worked out
0: (laughs) yeah it's um it's definitely up there like i i commend the person who started the pet rock phenomenon because like that was like little effort for a big like payout and uh, yeah it's it's totally a genius pet rocks and uh i'm a millionaire that's how we do it Mm -hmm.
1: mm-hmm mm-hmm Yeah, I think the pet rocks are probably like the first thing on the list for the extraterrestrials to grab.
0: Totally, (laughs) totally. I think like the
1: AK-47s are like the last thing to check off.
0: (laughs) Right, like that's after you've landed and you've collected soil samples, definitely that's that might be step two three or four uh depending i don't know where like the six degrees from kevin bacon in the alien uh world you know going from dirt to guns is but i can sure speculate and i think it starts with dirt and it might um you know end up going to oh there was um Speaking of aliens fucking up, I think my favorite aliens (laughs) fucking up story is this one story in which this woman who was a lifelong experiencer was driving home from a Christmas party and uh, she had a Christmas gift with her that she uh, hadn't unwrapped yet. And she has an abduction like event on the road. She pulls into her driveway. She's freaking out. She thinks she's been abducted. The moment she realizes she's been abducted is when she realizes that the aliens unwrapped her package and rewrapped it poorly. Like, very poorly. <gasps>
1: yeah, Those sneaks! I know. <laughs> they just had to see what it was. What would she order?
0: Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, what? what is she getting for Christmas? I really want to know. What would I get her for Christmas? Hmm. Let's compare <laughs> so notes. samples yeah soil samples um um, soil samples um bendy uh, straws yeah bendy straws maybe an implant um it's it's there's so many options so many so many
1: options um so i actually have a really interesting abduction tale that i just received from a local resident here oh really Um, and It's interesting. And I want to hear your opinion of this uh, particular part. So um, yeah, they, they suspect they've been abducted. They have a lot of abduction dreams. Um, They've had marks on their bodies. And then after these supposed expected dreams, um, they've been able to just see UFOs at a higher rate during like the day. Um, They claim that they just, they they just know when to look up now. And I, I think that's really interesting. But here's what's compelling the, the extraterrestrials left a trace, and that is a biological trace. Um, oh. This man goes to the doctor and he's getting blood work done. Guess what? His blood will not centrifuge. Whoa. So he goes to like other doctors and blood wants centrifuge. He uh, has a coworker who uh, apparently has like a brother at NASA or something. And he's like, listen, um, there's only one instance I've heard of this happening. Um, there's, there's a few, like you could have a couple diseases, but he like didn't have them. They checked for that. Um, they say that when astronauts first come back for earth from earth, no, when they come back to earth from wherever they're going, um, the first 30 days or so their blood refuses to centrifuge as well so there's this man here whose blood will not centrifuge he has all the documents and the only instance of that being recorded is by people who have left the planet and have come back
0: that's interesting that's very right. interesting this and man this has guy, been to- He's been to outer space and he didn't even And he has ask. physical
1: proof. But it's more significant than that of a trip of an astronaut because theirs goes back to normal. And this was three years ago.
0: Oh, that's creepy. And that's, so I think
1: it's continually happening. But yeah. he's, like, he's like a semi-pro surfer and he like travels all over the world just surfing. And so I'm like... All of these places that you go to, they always seem to have like UFO flaps and things too. So it's just like your lifestyle is perfect for them, where they can just keep messing with you everywhere that you're going. Yeah, and the only evidence that there is 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 your blood work. <laughs> it's so crazy.
0: So I I guess the uh, solution here is, folks, if you're an experiencer, you believe you've been abducted by UFOs, you believe you've been into space. Get your blood checked out. Yeah. get it checked out, please.
1: Get some blood. Get a panel. Get a panel done. Yep. Watch your doctor's face turn white.
0: <laughs> yes, and you know what you should do with that? You should submit that to Liminal Earth. <laughs> yes. And and speaking of Liminal Earth, because uh, folks, that's gonna that's gonna do it for our giant UFOs here. Speaking of Liminal Earth. Uh, Bex, how can people keep up with everything with everything that you're doing with with Liminal Earth and and with the Wednesday UFO watches? How can everybody keep up with with what you got going on?
1: Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, check out woofo.watch. That's w u f o.watch. That is our official Wednesday night watch party website. So you can check it out for last week's week crap, Uh, for this week's plan. We have stargazing side quests by Maidlin. We have fan art. We have guided meditations for cloudy days. We have night sky cams that you can check out. um, And every week it's evolving. Um, Outside of that, we are liminal earth across the board, except on Instagram. We're liminal.earth. Um, our website is also just liminal.earth. It's a worldwide crowd fun, a crowdsourced map of paranormal experiences, weird dreams, and, of course, UFO sightings of the sort. So you can submit pretty much anything strange or fun that's happened to you. We'd love to read it. Um, and if you're interested in supporting us, we do a lot of work that's not seen to the public eye over on our Patreon at Liminal Earth Society uh yeah for just a dollar you can join our discord and get access to all of our uh archived lives from wufo and, and things like that
0: yeah that discord is lit i am there and it, it is fun it's it's lively it's a fantastic conversation happening all the time yes it, it is wonderful uh thank you so much for joining me uh on this episode It's just absolutely fantastic just absolutely wonderful it's great to it's great to laugh about this stuff and and talk about buck wild ufo cases so thank you bex for joining me on this episode uh as for the our strange skies podcast you can find us on most podcasting apps I don't know if we're beefing with iHeartRadio or if Audioboom just doesn't like to submit things to iHeartRadio, but we're not there. We'll get there eventually. But, uh, you know, please leave us a rating and review on any podcasting app that allows it. Uh, tell your friends about us because I'm amazing. You're amazing. And you want your friends to be exposed to amazing things. That's just, that's just how it happens. I mean, you can expose them to things like liminal earth and, and, and we're all amazing here. And, uh, If you want to support us monetarily, head on over patreon.com slash your UFO guy for $3 a month. You get early access to episodes like this, as well as bonus episodes. The bonus episodes are wild. Uh, I just did a bonus episode about this guy's abduction experiences in the 1980s with mantis like beings. And like the one sketch that somebody did of this mantis being looks like it's getting down to Cotton Eye Joe. So if you are interested in that, head on over patreon.com slash your UFO guy where you can find more uh, info about that special. Thanks to floats for the use of their song. UFO as the theme song for this podcast, special thanks to Megan Lagerberg for our fantastic logo and to the great Desdemona for our t-shirt designs. And finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or over the Klondike highway. In Gray, we trust. I saw a window somewhere in New Mexico. On the way back home, maybe I don't know. It was green. I could be. I wish you could stay,
1: because I know I have lots to say. Feed Media.